The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. A bulletin just in. The world's top scientists are holding a conference in Washington, D.C., awaiting a statement from Professor Gordon, world authority on animal behavior and renowned physicist. Gentlemen, as I have told you, we are in big trouble. I think there is no need for me to describe to you the incredible chaos our beloved planet has been plunged into. Yes, we are in big trouble. Dr. Gordon, all of us here are aware of the total degradation that has overcome the masses. But what are we going to do about it? What is causing it? Now, I see it's a virus, and we must find a vaccine for it. It is not a virus. Any fool can see it's a case of mass hypnosis. Hypnosis? Oh, I've been researched and traced the cost of cans of bad Passover tuna. Oh, oh. Passover tuna, do you hear me? Tuna fish, tuna fish. This guy's got mercury on his brain. Oh, ah, tuna fish. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, August 26, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Had this tweet forwarded to me recently. Quote, don't forget to take your vitamins today. I took mine, but they won't work unless you take yours. End quote. <laughs> the cognitive dissonance required to accept such a ridiculous assertion, it boggles the mind, you know. And yet when it comes to the so-called COVID vaccines, that's the exact logic behind being able to accept the premise that I've taken my vaccination today, but it won't work unless you get a vaccination too. I mean, a statement like that defies the very definition of a vaccine. And it is evidence of an inability to relate ideas and concepts to one another. And whether this cognitive dissonance is caused by a virus or by mass hypnosis or by ideology or just plain stupidity, it is the underlying reality that is causing our social fabric to disintegrate right before our very eyes that anyone could possibly still believe that what we're going through today is about a virus is truly frightening. It's about politics and power and always was. We are in the midst of a great world war, one being fought on many fronts and in many countries. We'll try to connect a few of the many dots in this war right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archived broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. And thank you for all the feedback you've been sending our way over the past few weeks. We sure got some interesting feedback from our show with Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever a few weeks ago both pro and con regarding our discussion about outlawing vaccine discrimination. And we intend to address that issue once again in the near future. Another issue we've gotten some interesting feedback about is the matter of whether or not the SARS-CoV-2 virus or any of its descendants have ever been isolated. And I can tell you that even amongst doctors uniting against the vaccines, 
there is still some disagreement over this point, and that too is an issue we'll revisit when the opportunity presents itself. There are so many issues and events demanding our urgent attention that, well, we just can't get to all of them in a single show. The really significant stories that caught my attention for the bulk of today's show may seem somewhat unrelated. The calling of the Canadian election, the continued insanity surrounding the COVID narrative, prophetic events that are currently going on in Australia, just unbelievable, and believe it or not, the 2020 stolen election and what Donald Trump has been up to of late to rectify that situation. Quite frankly, I think it's the fear of Donald Trump that's driving many of the other issues, just has been the case ever since Trump was first elected. Even so, there remains a myriad of connected news events and significant stories on many other fronts that we'd love to address, so just because we may not mention them in a particular broadcast, rest assured, that doesn't mean these issues don't warrant significant consideration and won't get them at some point. For example, last week I only briefly mentioned the Afghanistan crisis, and one of our shortwave listeners wrote to us surprised by the fact that we didn't devote more of that show to that issue, considering its importance. However, he might have been pleased to learn that at the same time as last week's show was being broadcast, Afghanistan was indeed discussed in detail on two separate Just Right video shows hosted by Robert Vaughn with our regular guest Salim Mansour. You can check him out on our website, and I understand there are more to come. And Salim has also been discussing the issue with Mark Friesen on Mark's show. So maybe that's a good place to kick off our broader theme, in this case, connecting what's been happening in Afghanistan with the calling of the Canadian election, as here observed by Salim Mansour in this brief comment made to Mark on Mark's August 23rd show. And upon learning about events in Afghanistan, Salim contacted the People's Party of Canada leader Maxime Bernier to perhaps consider how the PPC should be reacting to the crisis. People will be talking about this years and years to come. But very quickly, I mean, last Sunday, a week ago in the morning, the, as the story was unfolding, I uh, texted to Maxime about uh, what was unfolding, not realizing that in a few hours, uh, the writ will be dropped and we will be headed into a, a federal election. And that tells you in another way that this prime minister of ours, how absolutely callous and uncaring he is on any substantive issue that to drop the writ on the day in which possibly one of the most significant geopolitical events was unfolding right before our eyes. And he has not addressed this issue at all. Yeah, addressing issues is not something that Justin Trudeau does, <laughs> ever, ever. That he remains in power is in and of itself embarrassing evidence that voters in this country have taken leave of their faculties. In fact, avoiding issues has become Trudeau's major campaign theme, to the point of embarrassment, quite frankly. But should I frown or should I smile? I don't know. So... Before we begin looking into the Canadian federal election, let me make it clear from the outset that this show, once again, and as we did during the last federal election, fully endorses the People's Party of Canada. 
and the leadership of Maxime Bernier, the only federal political option in Canada that puts freedom first and which opposes the current regime of fascism. And I am pleased to be able to say that many Freedom Party of Ontario supporters and executive members are also fully supporting the PPC in this election campaign. One of Freedom Party's provincial executive members, Wayne Simmons, has gotten the endorsement of the PPC in his Toronto area riding, and Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever was actually out this past weekend with Wayne, collecting signatures to help him get on the ballot. And here in London, Ontario, my daughter Danielle, who is the chief financial officer for the Provincial Freedom Party of Ontario, is now also acting as the official agent and financial officer for three PPC candidates, two in London and one in the Toronto region. And my own sister Liz is a campaign organizer with PPC candidate Mike McMullen in London West. And I understand that Robert Vaughn plans to interview one or two PPC candidates in his area as the election progresses. And of course, election day is set for September 20th. The early election call came as a shock for many, who expected the election to take place maybe sometime in October or November. Calling a summer election was pure opportunism for Trudeau. We have an election now taking place from mid-August to mid-September, a time when many families and individuals are still on summer vacations and during which they return to school in September and all those other changes that happen at that time of year occupies much of people's attention. The PPC candidates who ran in the last federal election and who are doing so again this time round have been reporting quote-unquote an exponential increase in their perceived level of support. However, they're very well aware that critical mass still eludes them. The party claims to have more candidates this election than in the last one, and they did pretty good last time round. Now, Trudeau's election call, considered early by most, is evidence that some form of urgency or perhaps desperation has been made necessary. But I have to tell you that I never expected to see what we're seeing now, thanks, of course, to some independent news media who apparently aren't even being allowed to speak to Trudeau, and it really begs the question. Why? On this side of our upcoming bumper, two accounts of the lengths to which Trudeau's liberals are avoiding the media and any discussion of issues. The first by Dan Dix of Press for Truth and the second by Rebel Media's Adam Seuss, August 18 and 21 respectively. And on the return side of the bumper, PPC candidate David Freiheit with his take on why his party's leader, Maxime Bernier, is not being invited to the national leaders debate. Hey there guys, this is Dan Dix here reporting for Press for Truth. We're on our way now to the Vancouver Convention Center to ask Justin Trudeau a question. It is uh, open to the media today. I registered yesterday, so we're going to head on up there now and uh, get on in there and ask him a question. Excuse me, sir. We're uh, 20 minutes out now. You kept like just pushing it back, pushing it back. Where are we at now? Probably not going to get in today, you guys. What's that? It's probably not going to get in here today. Why is that? We're just not going to get in here today. Why? So we have the Sorry, why can't we get in today? Oh, you're just not going to. Thanks. We're just not going to? Yeah, I'm media, sir. I've already registered. Why can't we come in? That's nice. Thanks. This is open to a public event. How do you pronounce your name? You can't just say no. <laughs> you have to give a reason. Those are public service. This is public property, and we're independent media. I'm yeah. accredited with the independent party. Yeah, thanks. No, we're good. That's not an answer. So if we just walk in past you right now, what's going to happen? I don't know. Okay. Can I please 
sign the list. I've registered. I'm accredited media. No, we're good. You've just been leaving us hanging this whole time. For what reason? This is Canada. We have a democracy here. I'm just here to ask a question. I'm not a risk at all. Yeah. You could at least answer what is the reason you are refusing to let me in there as media, accredited media. I'm good. Thanks. What do they tell you about why we're not allowed to be in here today? You asked me who I was from and I told you a media outlet. You said what is it? I said it's independent. You said hang tight. You guys are enjoying a very nice day here in a beautiful province. I'm really glad to be here right now. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place you guys got here in Vancouver. Well, you're kind of ruining it right now by suppressing free speech, sir. Do you understand what you're doing here today? Again, you guys are here at a lovely day. I'm really enjoying your province right now. It's quite beautiful. I don't understand. You don't have to be smug. Like I know, we're human beings. Like, I'm a human. The way you're treating me is not nice. It's not respectful. You can answer the question. You have a job here to do. You're holding a media list. Why am I being refused to go in there? Were you the first? Were you the first oh, yeah. one in line? Yeah, I was actually here uh, like 7, 7.30 a.m. or so. I've been waiting the whole time and he allowed CTV to go past me, he allowed Omni News to go past me, allowed a number of, of other mainstreams to go past me, but just kept me hanging tight saying, wait, 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 just wait, just wait, just wait. The event starts in like 10 minutes and he's still not giving us any answers. Excuse me, ma'am. Um, you saw me here early, I was uh, like the first one here. Um, do you know if we're, uh, like why we were, who we can talk to about why we weren't allowed in today? Like I said to her, I'll let them know. I'm just, I'm. This is just my role. I'm just putting the can, uh, helping the candidates get in. That's it. Yeah. What What are you gonna let them know? I'll, I just uh, told them right now. Told them what? I just told them that you know there's media at the door. Okay. So okay. somebody's on their way down to talk to us. That's. I'm just the messenger. When it came down to it, being about ten minutes outside. Justin. Justin, they're not letting us in. I have one question, Justin. One simple question, sir. Justin, they're not... Justin, they're not allowing media in here, sir. One simple question. Justin. Justin, they're not allowing in independent press today, sir. I have one simple question. Justin, Justin, there are people uh, fleeing from Afghanistan right now, sir. You welcome that. Hmm. All right, well, I was trying to finish my question, which was, there are people fleeing from Afghanistan right now. And uh, you would welcome such a thing for people to be able to leave a tyrannical place like that. And would you afford the same freedoms should you mandate vaccines to Canadians who want to flee this tyrannical government as well? But he's not up for hearing the questions from the independents. That's Trudeau for you. Well, there you have it, folks. I tried to get in in a question. I wasn't able to finish it because they were pushing off the independent media. They've been doing everything they could ever since the beginning of uh, us arriving here two hours early to push us off, push us off, push us off. And finally, I managed to get in the question. It's my fifth time confronting Justin Trudeau, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to get in the full question. They are not interested in having the independent media here today. They only want the mainstream narrative. 
to be coming out. That's why they wished through CTV and Omni News before people like Rebel News and myself. Adam Saucier for Rebel News, and after a great deal of effort, we finally managed to find this Justin Trudeau event in Calgary. He can't be bothered to stop in this city for more than a few hours, and when he does, it's a secretive event. So we have been racing across the city trying to find this location, and we finally made it here. There's a very limited crowd here. They're all standing in their own little circles in isolated pods. Justin has arrived, and for a few minutes, he spoke to a crowd. We'll certainly share that speech with you. He's now going from circle to circle, chatting with the people who are so lucky to be granted access. Other media outlets were allowed in. When we walked up, we were told that we had to leave. Hi, guys. Hi, you guys are with? Rebel News. Okay, so uh, we actually don't allow Rebel News into our events. Okay. So public property goes up to the, to the road over there. Uh, we've rented this space, so uh, basically we're going to ask that you guys just stay back on the road. Okay, uh, is there a reason? Like, we're more than happy to nicely ask questions like everybody else? Um, well, it's just you guys, that's not been the case. Unfortunately, they have, they've, uh, they've adopted this narrative that only state-funded media should have access to this, which is ridiculous. It's a clear conflict of interest and something that should not occur. Independent media needs to be able to ask questions to politicians, and that's what we're going to continue to fight to do. And quite frankly, here in Alberta, I know you see what happens when conservatives make decisions that aren't based on science, that aren't based on the best interests of the most vulnerable, across the country now know is the only way to move forward with good jobs, with strong careers, with opportunities for future generations, is to think about how we're going to move forward and fight climate change at the same time. That's what you need to do. You deserve a government that's going to continue to say, get vaccinated. And you know what? If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your choice. But don't think you can get on a plane or a train beside vaccinated people. We need to be strong in the decisions we're taking going forward. And we need to put people first, which we have always done. And I'll be honest. You know, like I do, there's lots of people out there who don't agree with that. And the reality is, that's okay. We're in a democracy. People can make themselves heard. Justin Trudeau is continuing to meet and greet folks out here at the event. There's a large barricade. They've basically made a human wall of people, so no one has a chance to ask questions. There's also no availability for media for questions, not just us, but any media at all. So as one stop in Calgary, typically Justin Trudeau is just not answering questions so typical of him. The event wrapped up as always, Justin Trudeau's security entourage made sure to keep us far enough away that we couldn't ask any questions. They simply are not answering any questions. It's it's uncharacteristic. They kept this event hidden and they're not doing media, media availability. Usually campaigning is an opportunity to answer questions, but something has shifted in the political landscape in this country and it's extremely unfortunate. Viva Fry, Montreal litigator turned YouTuber, and as many of you also now know, aspiring member of parliament for the People's Party of Canada for the riding of Notre-Dame-de-Grâce and Westmount. And there is chicanery afoot in the Canadian election process. For those of you who don't know, there's an election going on right now in Canada that is called for September 20th. And in the context of that election, they have something that is called the Leaders' Debate 
which is basically a debate among the leaders of the federal parties under certain conditions. Those conditions being that they have to meet certain eligibility requirements in order to be invited by the Leaders Debates Commission to participate in the debate. What are those criteria? Well, we're going to get into it. Now, fair warning, I'm probably biased in this because I am running for the People's Party of Canada and the chicanery in my mind is that Maxime Bernier, the leader of this federal party, was not invited to the leaders debate because apparently according to the leaders debates commission standards, he did not meet the required conditions in order to be invited to the debate. Now bear in mind, Maxime Bernier is now head of a federal party called the People's Party of Canada. And they have, as of now, I think close to 300 candidates in the 338 federal ridings. This is the second federal election in which they are participating as an independent party. This is not some election campaign party that just popped up overnight that has one candidate in the 338 ridings. This is an established federal party. So it's a little surprising that he doesn't get invited to the debate, even if it was close. And in my mind, it wasn't close because the criteria are so nebulous and ambiguous that they can yield any result they want. I'm going to read to you now the conditions set by the Leaders Debates Commission to determine if someone of the federal party is to be invited to the debate. I'm going to read it to you now. You tell me if you understand what I just read. In order to be invited to participate in the leaders' debates, the commissioner decided that a leader of a political party had to meet one of the following criteria. Skipping to criteria on three, five days after the date the general election is called, the party receives a level of national support of at least 4% determined by voting intention and as measured by leading national public opinion polling organizations using the average of those organizations most recently publicly reported results. Try to make sense of what I just read and now I'm going to read to you the process that the commission goes through in order to determine the aggregate average of those polls and let me know if this makes any sense to you. In making the above determination the commission selected polls that were completed and released in the window from the nine days before to five days after the issuance of the writs were conducted by public opinion polling organizations that are either members of the Canadian Research Insights Council or are providing public opinion data to major media organizations using the polling organization's most recent publicly reported result, reported explicit information about the support level for the party, were conducted on a nationally representative sample of at least 1,000 respondents, and publicly released methodological information sufficient for verification of the integrity of the poll, including question wording for the vote choice questions, fielding dates, and details on sample size, weighting criteria, and survey mode. So in order for a leader of a federal party to be invited to the leader's debate, he or she must have a polling average of 4% in the polling that was taken nine days before the writs are issued, that is to say the election is called, and the five days following the issuance of the writs of the election. And they go to their reputable pollsters in order to use the averages of these polls in order to determine if the aggregate average of the party is polling at at least 4% such that the leader would be in invited to participate in the debates. And pulling this from the Leaders Debates Commission website, when you see the variance of these allegedly reputable pollsters, one might believe that these pollsters are nothing more than shots in the dark, random throwing darts at a dartboard. Because when you have one reputable pollster polling the Parti Populaire de Canada at 0.7% and you have two other reputable pollsters polling the party at 5.2%, something is wrong with your reputable pollsters. 
That differential between 0.7% and 5.2% is not just a difference of 4.5%. It is a difference of virtually 700% because one pollster is 700% off of the other pollster. So if when you are dealing with reputable pollsters and you have one reputable pollster that is 700% more than another reputable pollster or one reputable pollster who is sevenfold under another reputable pollster, sorry, under two other reputable pollsters, you have a problem with these so-called reputable pollsters. I just did a sidebar with Robert Barnes and pollster Richard Barris, who gets it right more than many of the other so-called reputable pollsters, and we went over the rampant corruption in the polling industry and the rampant unreliability of polling insofar as you can get the polling to yield whatever result you want. So now you have the Leaders' Debates Commission saying that because some of the pollsters had the Parti Populaire de Canada at 0.7%, others had them at 5.2%, and a number of other polls that I have seen have them at over 6%, they didn't meet the 4% threshold, and Maxime Bernier is not being invited to participate in the democratic process of the election of the next Prime Minister of Canada. I know there are rules and it seems like the Leaders' Debates Commission has followed those rules, but when those rules are so nebulous and you are relying on pollsters that have such wide degrees of variance between the reputable pollsters, these rules were meant to yield whatever results you want them to yield. And it is not just shocking and outrageous that Maxime Bernier is not being invited to participate in the Leaders' Debate given that he is leading a federal party with candidates in virtually every riding in Canada. It is going to leave a lot of voters feeling disenfranchised with the process itself. Disenfranchisement, disillusionment, and it is undermining the democratic process itself. So with that said, that is the update on the Canadian elections and my participation in it. I am doing what I can to raise awareness for what I feel to be very questionable rules as to who gets invited to the leaders debate and who doesn't. David Freiheit is spot on with his criticism of the leaders debate. It seems to me that if any party is fielding enough candidates to win a majority government, or even a large minority one, should all their candidates get elected, of course, then that party leader gets to participate. It's no small task to bring a party to that level. And above all, a new party that can do it practically deserves extra consideration, particularly since it suggests that the electorate might be looking for something different in the political marketplace. And speaking of polls, here's one that was left on my home answering machine back in mid-May, which only goes to demonstrate Freiheit's point about polls. Hello, this is ERG National Research calling with a quick survey about federal politics here in Canada. All answers will be kept completely confidential. Only take a minute to complete. ERG National Research can be contacted directly at one 853 943 or at ergnationalresearch at gmail.com. Question one, who do you think would make the best Prime Minister of Canada? For Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP Party of Canada, press two. For Justin Trudeau, the leader of the Liberal Party, press three. For Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party, press four. For Annamie Paul, the leader of the Green Party of Canada, press five. For another political party's leader, press six. And if you're not sure, please press nine. End of messages. Gee, I wonder who other was supposed to be. Having included the Green Party leader by name in the poll, it is unconscionable that you wouldn't include the leader of a party who practically won the Conservative Party leadership, who had been an elected MP in the past. I mean, all you got in this poll is the four parties on the left. Why are they so afraid of any voices on the right? Why this insistence on a monologue rather than a dialogue? Get a load of what NDP leader Jagmeet Singh said about allowing Maxime Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada, to participate in the leaders' debate. 
Good morning, Mr. Singh. I'm wondering, should Maxine Bernier be able to participate in the national leaders debate? And do you think the criteria for this debate should be changed at all? No, and I've writ written a letter uh, explaining how I do not believe he should be allowed. Uh, he's someone that is that is opposed science, that puts out very dangerous and divisive rhetoric, and is someone that is putting out messages that are discouraging the public health response to this pandemic. I think it would be the wrong thing to do, very much the wrong thing to do, to give him a platform to promote very divisive and hurtful, frankly, uh, messaging that is uh, counter to science, counter to people's health. He's someone that is that is opposed science, that puts out very dangerous and divisive rhetoric, and is someone that is putting out messages that are discouraging the public health response to this pandemic. I think it would be the wrong thing to do, very much the wrong thing to do, to give him a platform. Jagmeet Singh does not believe in democracy. In his every breath and public statement I've heard him make over the years continually confirms it. He has the gall to say that Bernier should not be allowed when it's not for him, surely of all people, to say. In a democracy, it's the people who form political parties according to prescribed procedures and rules. And when the criteria are met, the decision has been made. It would be wrong to give him a platform, says Singh. It's not for him to give, but for the people to take. To claim that Bernier is putting out messages that are discouraging the public health response to this pandemic, when Bernier has merely stated that freedom of choice belongs to the individual and healthcare matters, is to also state that Singh doesn't share that view. He believes that should be the government's choice. He claims Bernier is opposed to science, so ludicrous on its face that it's laughable. Of course, he cites not a single example, because the truth is the exact opposite of what he has said. And it's the truth that those on the left universally fear. You know, it's not Maxime Bernier who's being silenced. It's the Canadian citizens who organized to participate in the democratic process who are being denied a voice. To Jagmeet Singh, PPC supporters are just another version of Hillary Clinton's deplorables, people who would vote for someone who is right and who is on the right. And turning my attention back to what we heard regarding Trudeau's efforts in avoiding the media, I could have included another fascinating incident involving rebel media's Quebec-based Alexa Lavoie, who was amazingly told right to her face by Bloc Québécois leader Yves-Francois Blanchet that although her question was valid and reasonable, his party has a policy not to answer any questions posed by rebel media. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. Although it was disgusting and reprehensible, you know, has a thing to say, it made me smile because I was recognizing that the alternative news media is having a much greater impact than the politicians want anyone to know. If you're known well enough to have a fascist political party draft a policy against you, you've got to be doing something right. The abject fear that politicians like Trudeau and Blanchet are revealing to us by their actions against non-state-funded media reveals both a weakness and fear on their part, and evidence that the forces mounting against them are significant enough to force them to openly act like the communist and fascist that they are. Trudeau's actions are those of a weak person. The refusal to engage, the constant censorship efforts, the constant threats of coercion and force. You know, some people see that as a sign of strength, but the opposite is the case. 
because he doesn't have the truth on his side. And because of that, he cannot appeal to reality or to reason and must resort to the use of force. It's the only alternative. Canadians should be recoiling in abject terror at having heard Trudeau's statements and agenda. We're going to move forward and fight climate change at the same time. You need a government that says, get vaccinated, but don't think you can sit beside a vaccinated person. We have to put people first. Just BS. Zero substance. Zero substance. He says nothing, but he gives a clear message. His is a fascist agenda, and climate change and COVID are his political weapons to use against the people, not for them. And if you want to understand what that means in practice, just check out the horrifying realities of what is happening in Australia now, today. And if this doesn't wake you up or scare the hell out of you, you're simply not paying attention. This from the Stu Peters Show of August 20. We are going to go live to Australia. We're going to go to the land down under that has been gripped by tyranny, completely overhauled by globalist tyrants who have totally locked down a nation, not allowing citizens to go more than a kilometer, a half a mile away from their homes, only allowing them outside to exercise for one hour per day. People are being arrested. You're not allowed to go from state to state. I mean, this is the prototype for the new world order, and we are going to go live to Australia and speak with a 45-year veteran of the Royal Australian Air Force who is bravely coming forward, risking it all. In Australia, tyranny is just running out of control. And while the media won't bring it to you, we will go directly to the source. Joining us now is Alan Hennessy, a 45-year veteran of the Royal Australian Air Force. I have been corresponding with Mr. Hennessy. Uh, thank you for being here, sir. We really appreciate it. Uh, I've been corresponding via email, via phone, getting some really horrific images out of Australia we can now confirm that three of the children that were led into this sports arena turned into a mass child inoculation or euthanasia center uh, have succumbed to the jab. They are dead. Two boys, one girl being reported by you by Alan Hennessy there in Australia. Catch us up to speed here and give us the real reality. What is really happening in Australia? Because Australia is warning, this is going to happen to you next. America, beware. What's going on? Correct. Thanks for having me on, Stu. Um, it's number one, as everyone knows, it's not in the mainstream media. If you're watching the mainstream media, you won't hear any of this. The, the problem we have now is a lot of these emergencies are based upon a, 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 SARS, a, a virus which is allegedly caused by SARS-CoV-2, which to this day has never been identified, isolated, purified. Right. There's no evidence of it anywhere freedom of information cases all over the world said we don't have the documents doesn't exist cdc has admitted it the documents do not exist so this whole thing is predicated on basically it is a fraud there's cool and gatter in queensland and tweed heads in new south wales are a twin town they're effectively one town but the border goes up the middle of the town so uh, at the moment merely crossing the street in some parts of tweed heads is now illegal unless you have an exemption which takes time to apply for to access specific goods or services that you that is not available in the state that you're currently in um, there are lots of exemptions um, that you need to apply for if you want to leave the state if your place of work or your or your business is across the road or around the corner in the, in another state tough luck it's that bad if you're further away from the border, these, these restrictions are worse. 
it's almost impossible to get across the border if you're not a border zone resident. You can only cross the border to get essential goods or services that you can't get in the state you're in. You can't go, you can, you, you can get medical care or supplies um, if you can't get them in the state you're in. So if you're on the border and you normally go across the road to the hospital in another state to get medical treatment, and the nearest and the nearest hospital in your state is two hours away, you've got to go two hours away. You can't go across the road into the other state. You cannot send your, your children to school around the corner in the other state. You can go over the border in an emergency situation. And if you in New South Wales and you're going to Queensland, you can only stay there for the time it takes you to complete your essential purpose. These are the good restrictions. If you're in Queensland and you go into New South Wales and you don't go in for any of those reasons, like you're saying, I'm going to go to a mate's house this weekend for a big barbecue and a pool party, and you drive across the border, which might be, his place might be a kilometre away, half a mile away. If you travel into New South Wales for any other reason than I've just given you, and and you're required to return to Queensland, which is your place is like a kilometre away, by air and quarantine for 14 days at your expense in a government-nominated accommodation. It's purely who, who is now, it that is, uh, who is charged with coming up with these restrictions, number one, and number two, who is enforcing these restrictions and by what measures? Right. The, the people who are making this, we've got eight non-elected bureaucrats in Australia, six in the territory, six in the states, two in the territories, six unelected bureaucrats. They are the chief health officer or the director of public health or whatever name in each state. They are getting their instructions, in my opinion, from the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum. They are giving this information they're being fed to the government who are blindly obeying. That's where they're getting in the information from. They are unelected bureaucrats that are making this they are making law by edict or direction or, or rule, but not, not by law. Now, it's being enforced at the moment by police, but on the Queensland border, it's now being enforced by the Australian Army in a move that is widely considered to be unconstitutional. But in New South Wales, quickly down into New South Wales, draconian things are coming in there. Lots of, lots of new restrictions coming in at one minute past midnight on Monday. Um, exercise limited an hour a day. This is the list I'm sort of reading off at the moment from, this is Brad Hazard, the absolute psychopath who's the Minister of Health in, in Queensland. Police have now been given extra powers from Monday to lock down apartment blocks while the COVID COVID risk is being assessed by Department of Health. They can, uh, police can now declare a residential premises a COVID risk premise and require all people to present to police during compliance checks. They can direct a person who's been issued with an infringement notice, a ticket, to, to then immediately return home. Um, if you're outside your local government area, something you call a county, if they're outside a particular county and you're found to be in in there without a reasonable excuse of one of these defined counties, you've got to be fined $1,000 and required to isolate for 14 days. You've got to wear a mask whenever you're out of your house 
except when you're except when you're exercising. Victoria, far left wing government. In metropolitan Melbourne, there's a curfew between 9 p.m. and 5. Most people over outside Australia don't know this. At large large scale construction sites, this is changing as we speak. Staff have to reduce their the manpower on that site to 25% of the normal figure or five workers, whichever's higher. If you work, you've got to be an authorised worker to, to work there and you've got to carry your permit with you and that permit has to be certified by the employer. If you go to university or college, you have to have a, have to have a permit. So, and uh, Alan, I just got to ask you, uh, I mean, as you're reading this stuff off, I'm just thinking to myself, my God, I mean, there is absolutely no freedom at all left in your continent, in Australia, in the land down under. I mean, we, this is not how we perceive as, you know, in Western civilization, as, uh, you know, Christian God-fearing people, uh, specifically citizens of the United States. This is not how we picture Australia. Any, any uh, population that was subjected to this type of tyranny would obviously fight back, guns or not. Why are, mm. why are people not physically fighting back where are all of them it goes back historically we're, look, we're a, a convict born country and australians are famous for being laconic and she'll be right mate no problem no worries nothing's a worry so we're not gullible but i'm starting to think we might be because at the moment people are just acquiescing out of fear Absolutely out of fear. Do, does do the, does the is, mass of population have any knowledge of the fact that this virus is not deadly? Um, are, are the masses of people, what, what specifically are they afraid of? Are they afraid of this virus or are they afraid of the government? The, the um, pervasive story is from the mainstream media. The politicians are being empowered by the mainstream media. Sky News might have been borderline at one stage in getting the truth out, but all is lost in there. Most people are getting all their news, most people are getting all their news from the mainstream media, which spreads the lies. They don't hear any truth. Uh, the very few people who are speaking up and people are going, there might be more to this. We cannot wake up the people who have been jabbed. They're a lost cause. I'm sorry, we've got to cut them loose. The people who've taken the blue pills, you know, matrix, the red pill, blue pill, no hope for them. Some are purple, not many. The ones who are taking the red pills are the lions. We're not lions trying to wake up the sheep. We're lions trying to get more lions because, and we're growing and that is happening. But um, they are just blindly following. It's really Stockholm syndrome on steroids, Stu. It is really bad. And the most people are totally oblivious to it. They're oh, just getting a jab. I'll get the jab because then I might be able to fly overseas. No, not gonna happen. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And how many more stupid rules and regulations do you have to hear about to understand that this is not about a virus? How could any individual possibly keep up with or even remember that myriad of bizarre and evil restrictions on their freedoms? They change every day. And by the way, before the end of their conversation, Alan Hennessy got an update which stated that construction sites would be totally shut down completely, rather than just limit the workforce. All of these measures are geared to a single purpose, 
to destroy the economy and prosperity of Australia. Same things going on in Canada, same in the United States, same in Europe. Yet after having heard Stu Peters and Alan Hennessy lament the psychology and gullibility of Australians, only one day after their discussion on Saturday, August 21st, an amazing event transpired in Melbourne. A sea of people stretching to the horizon in every direction, protesting the lockdowns. Here's a brief account of that event, as reported by Avi Yemeni of Rebel News. As you can see behind me, thousands of protesters now have descended on Melbourne's CBD. Moments ago, the police indiscriminately spraying the crowd with pepper spray. Riot squad coming out and chasing, hunting, arresting protesters they can catch. But it hasn't stopped the group from marching on for their freedom. Remember, this is the sixth lockdown this city has seen. It was supposed to be a seven-day snap lockdown three weeks into it with no end in sight these people say they are not going to stop and if this if this is anything to go by i take their word for it of you many for rebel news in melbourne australia what you just witnessed is the crowd of thousands overwhelming police so what's happened right now is the crowd broke through the police line and what police did was seclude and block half the group. There are thousands on that side, thousands on this side and now police have brought out the riot squad in full riot gear. We haven't seen this since that day in September of 2020 where I was violently arrested for doing this, doing my job. Right on my face. I wasn't even running. I was just standing. They really want to quash this protest today. It has been an absolute embarrassment for the state, for the police, that once again when they promised us thousands were not going to be able to march on these streets. Well, they have. They will. They did. And they'll continue to do so, they say, until these lockdowns end. Yeah, so this is all about a virus, right? <laughs> to witness the police in Melbourne actually shoot tear gas and rubber bullets into an unarmed and peaceful crowd was shocking and appalling. What kind of moral midgets do they recruit for police forces these days? I mean, that is totally unacceptable, and I'm seeing it in the States, I'm seeing it in Canada. You know, fascism in action. Funny how none of this ever gets to the front pages of the corporate media, isn't it? And I have to point out that virtually all of the global marches against the lockdowns are peaceful. No buildings are burning, no looting is going on. Riot squads and police are essentially unnecessary, and they are always the primary cause of any disruptions or violence. If they weren't there, there would be zero problems. But when they're necessary, like when Antifa or Black Lives Matter violently protest through the destruction of life, liberty, and property, the police and riot squads take a knee for their cause. Still think this is about a virus? Now let us turn our attention to the really big story. The story, I believe, that is so largely driving the urgency of all the rest. And as you may know, Mike Lindell a few weeks ago presented a three-day marathon of evidence demonstrating how the last American election was stolen. And here again, thanks to Stu Peters on August 17th, 
is a somewhat chilling and compelling account of what's going on on the political front by a law professor who attended the event and who got to meet Donald Trump for the first time. Well, Dr. David Clements is a law professor at New Mexico State University. He was a longtime deputy district attorney that oversaw six law enforcement agencies and prosecuted thousands of cases. He rose recently to national prominence after standing up on his university's mistreatment of conservative students and faculty. And he joins us now. Professor, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Stu. Good to be with you. So just laying it all out there, I've been watching you over the last couple of weeks. You have been with Lynn Wood. You have been at the Cyber Symposium. You have been with President Trump. Lots of goings on. Today, uh, on Frank's speech, we're watching Mike Lindell expose all kinds of things that are now coming to light, raising eyebrows like crazy. What do you make of all of this? Well, you know, I, I'd like to hope that we wouldn't see something like this. You know, you have to take your case as you find it. And what we're finding is that when you're dealing with something that is as explosive as a stolen election, you have to think about the motivations of the players. What would what will they do to ensure that the con is pulled off? And um, so we're starting to get into intelligence, counterintelligence, counter to counterintelligence. And that's new for me. I mean, I, I, I've always operated as a prosecutor where I had some faith in the legal system, that it worked, that the good guys wore badges, the bad guys were easy to identify. And what we're finding now is that because there's so much turmoil behind the scenes with the NSA, the CIA, the FBI, law enforcement, to either keep this regime in place that stole the election, and we have good guys that are trying to figure out what to do. And the bottom line is, there were absolutely nefarious players involved with rigging the outcome of a presidential and down-ballot election throughout this entire country for the insertion of some new regime, which to me looks like, in every sense of the word, an executed coup d'etat that has already taken place, but the rest of the world just hasn't been told that verbatim yet. And we're seeing weird things like, you know, Vice President Kamala Harris sitting at the uh, at the naval uh, place here and uh, observatory and there's empty bookshelves behind her and we're seeing Joe Biden on some Zoom meeting where the clocks don't match up. You know, Moscow is not that far behind another place and the, the the timing is all weird. Everything looks like a big script, a big play. Would you agree that a coup has taken place already in this country? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it was self-evident on um, November 3rd. And we saw further evidence of that on January 6th. A lot of things just don't add up. I mean, I know I know what I think is going on, but it's so depressing to articulate to your audience that I think psychologically it's like you can't tell me that people are that evil. And what I want to tell them is, yes, they can be. We just never thought we'd see that type of evil in our lifetimes. This is stuff that we saw in World War II, the Holocaust, the Nuremberg trials. So with knowing that you've been with Mike Lindell at the symposium, General Flynn, the president, I'm going to get harassed by my viewers if I don't ask you. So you sat down with President Trump. What was that conversation about? Are you comfortable talking about that? Um, 
All I'll say is I believe that the president of the United States, uh, to me, is the art of war personified. There's a lot more going on. And so you try to read the man because you have, I have to operate on some faith that if I know that he won the election, he most certainly does. And when you're the most powerful man in the world, you're the commander in chief, you're going to have assets and tools that I don't have. And certainly that Mike Lindell, even Mike Lindell doesn't have. Um, so I'm going to operate with this inescapable fact that he won the election. So I see President Trump as the president today. And I'm going to work and labor to do my part to try to invigorate the American people to make that a reality because it's, it's inescapable. Um, the black hats know that Trump won the election. The white hats know that Trump won the election. The only people that don't know are the people that have been indoctrinated through a constant stream of propaganda day in and day out. And as soon as we can break that spell, we'll have our country back. How do you break through to people who are just absolutely 100% oblivious or have convinced themselves it cannot be this bad? Well, the, the, the great prescription is reality. I mean, I can either convey it through reason and facts and try to show people what's off, or you can open your eyes and say, or see the following, that over the past calendar year, we don't recognize this country. We are masked, recovered. Businesses have shut down. The rule of law has, has been shut down. Um, it, we are living in a different country. And so all we need are for people to, to look around. Let's start with that. Um, Free speech has never been under assault like it's been over this past calendar year. The way that we teach in class, this has never happened. Uh, the way that we're allowed to congregate in churches or not congregate in churches has never happened. The fact that we've got political prisoners locked up since January 6th for misdemeanors, even though there's de facto proof of gates being open where you couldn't satisfy the legal charges themselves, never happened on this scale because there were so many people with their cameras. So what, what I say is this is a spiritual battle. And in order to see the spell, to see the enchantment, you have to know the truth. And if you don't know the truth and you are, you've deceived yourself, you're going to be of no use to me. You're going to be of no use to your audience. And so this is a, a spiritual battle where we are talking about good versus evil. We're not talking about left versus right. We're not talking about Republicans versus Democrats. We're talking about a battle for the soul of this nation where we no longer see truth. And the only way that you can see truth is if you know the truth. The time to speak up is now. A lot of people have been on the fence doing this, waiting for someone to save them. And there are people out there fighting tooth and nail for the Republic, but there's not enough of us. And, and a history book's gonna be written and many of us are going to look really good in that history book because of our convictions. Don't be the person that doesn't get a footnote, that doesn't get a chapter, that doesn't get a paragraph about your efforts. Because if you're silent, you're complicit. If you, if you know that things are wrong and you're doing nothing because you're too scared, because you want to watch Netflix, because you want to, to, to have your comfort, no one will remember you. And if they do remember you, it will likely be... Uh, brought about through, through some, some, some lens of shame that you should have done more. And, and so the appeal to folks is we're so close. We're going to have a major breakthrough. Just do your part. 
while very measured and considered comments, to say the least. And to hear Professor Clements describe Trump as the art of war personified, it kind of sent a chill down my spine as I began to appreciate exactly what he was saying. You know, he described Trump as if Trump were the commander-in-chief of the military or something like that. (laughs) How about that, right? According to Wikipedia, the art of war is an ancient Chinese military treatise attributed to the ancient Chinese military strategist Sun Tzu. It is composed of 13 chapters. Each one is devoted to a different set of skills related to warfare and how it applies to military strategy and tactics. So to the extent that Dr. Clement's observation about Trump being the art of war personified is valid, then one thing we can be sure of is this. We are in a state of war. And war conditions described in the United States are mere variants of fascist conditions that exist in Canada, in Australia, and in Europe. It is not about a virus. The virus scare is mostly propaganda. The vaccines are a weapon. The objective is political power. Perhaps the greatest cognitive dissidence lies in the continued insistence that measures proven not to work should continue to be pursued at all costs. Lockdowns don't work. Masks don't work. Social distancing doesn't work. And above all, not only do vaccines not work, they're now the main drivers of the so-called third and fourth wave of COVID-19. We have reached a new fever pitch being taken by the enemy. And the enemies are governments and politicians. It's their irrational and aggressive threats that are being directed against us by our national leaders, whether it's Joe Biden or Justin Trudeau, that we have to fight against. And I guarantee you, after COVID lockdowns, or maybe even while they're still going on, there will be climate change lockdowns. They've already been telling us that. Remember, Trudeau is planning to, quote, move forward and fight climate change at the same time, end quote. I just can't believe people are listening to this stuff. The political BS and eternal scams will never stop until, quote-unquote, we the people stop listening to them, stop complying with irrationality, and elect those representatives to government who truly are representative of, quote, we the people, end quote. The only people who don't know the truth about the election or about COVID lies are those indoctrinated with media propaganda, said Professor Clements. We must break the spell, he said, and he said that reason and reality are the prescription and silence on this matter is not golden. Wise advice, to say the least. And breaking the spell of irrational indoctrination is and always has been our mission, a mission that resumes when you join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right. And be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. There's an article here. Some guy claims that the weather conditions are controlled by the Rockefeller family. <laughs> so they can bring about one world government. Black spots. Ever seen Rocky with an umbrella? You don't need one. It don't rain on. Who? <laughs> Rockefeller. It don't rain on. <laughs>